So, previously in flow with the go. Last week when we spoke about this, we found the Israelite nation at the precipice of their promise, about to enter the promised land. And this was a land that had been promised for them. It's found in Numbers 13 to 14 and Deuteronomy 1. And Moses says to them, look at this land that is in front of you. Go up and possess it. They're asked to send 12 spies, and the 12 spies go and scout out the land to check it out. And they come back. They, they actually get to a place called Hebron. And it's at Hebron that something shifts. Hebron is very significant in the Bible. Hebron is a place where God met with Abraham five to six hundred years previously. And God says to Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars. If you can count all the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. But before they come back to this place, they're going to take a detour to Egypt and they're going to be caught in slavery in Egypt. But I'm going to release them and they're going to come back right here to this place, to Hebron in Canaan. Anyway, this place that was meant to be the place of encouragement for the spies, because there were giants there, was actually a place of discouragement. The 12 spies come back from scouting out the land, and they come and they bring a report, and they say the land is absolutely amazing. It's a land of milk and honey. It's lush. It's beautiful. Also, look at the fruit. They brought some of the fruit of that land. They brought some of the future into the present. But the people are fierce, the cities are large, and they are fortified, and there were some giants living there. So Caleb, after hearing this, says, no flies on him, let's go up at once, let's possess this land, let's take this territory, for we are well able to prevail. And the, the other ten spies say, we are not able to prevail. They say, all the people are like giants, and we were like grasshoppers. We were insignificant in our own eyes, and we were insignificant in theirs. So we end up with two reports of this land. We end up with one report that says, no, don't go. We end up with one report that says, we are not able to take this land. We end up with a partial truth that excludes what God is able to do through them. We end up with a report that is unfavorable and evil because it excludes God out of the equation. And we end up with a report that incites the people. The other report says go. Caleb's report says go. It's a complete report. It includes God in the equation. It's called an honest and an accurate report. And it invites the people into God's story. It invites the people to step into God's story. But sadly, it's not Caleb and it's not Joshua and it's not Moses invite that wins the day. The people, all the people, it says the whole nation of Israel believed the spies. And they said they, they made the hearts of the people melt. They made the courage of the people fail because of what they said. And not only do the leaders cause that, but they start, there starts to, incitement amongst them starts to grow. 
and they start to grumble and moan and complain amongst themselves behind their, in their tents, behind the doors. And they start to say things like, God brought us out of the hand, out of the land of Egypt to destroy us by the hand of the Malachites. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, to go back to slavery, to go back to bondage? Let's find a leader who's going to take us back. And Moses says to them, let's stop. Let's look and see what God has done. Do you see what I see? Do you see what God has done? He has gone before you. He has he will fight for you just like he fought for you in Egypt, just like he fought for you in the wilderness. Remember how he carried you like a father carries his child. And he says this, he went again, he says he went ahead of you in your journey with a cloud by day and fire by night to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way to go. And that was where we ended the story last week. So we're going to pick it up at that point. That was a quick refresh. Joshua and Caleb also say to the people, the land that we have seen is outstanding. It's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will take us into this land we will enter this land, and we, he will give it to us. He will bring us to the land, bring us to the land, and he will give it to us. Only, don't rebel against the Lord. Rebelling is moving away from the Lord. Don't move away from the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. Their defense has deserted them, but the Lord has promised to be with you. Always. He never leaves you. And so the whole community, we told, was so excited about what Joshua and Caleb said that they threatened to stone them. Not everyone wants to hear good news. Not everyone wants to hear that God wants to do great things and God wants us to defeat giants. And at this place, the glory of the Lord came down. There was a tent of meeting that Moses had outside the camp where Moses met with God. And it says the glory of the Lord came down and all the people could see it. Now, if I just complained about Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua, and if I just threatened to stone them and suddenly God came down, I would have been nipping. I don't know about you. Anyone else think there might have been? That's enough for me to stop gossiping, hey? Enough. <laughs> really, I don't need any more motivation. And it says, when he heard these words, he was wroth. In the older translations, it says W-R-O-T-H, which is very different from W-R-A-T-H. God's shown his wrath before. But this is the first time God is wrath. Wrath means fury. It means anger. It means rage. It means maybe a bit of vindictiveness. 
but wrath, that word wrath, means that he snapped. He got to the place of saying enough is enough. I draw, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I don't know if any of you parents have ever done that. Never. Not with seven kids. Never. <laughs> enough. And he says to Moses, I will send a plague to destroy this nation, and I will make your name great. Now, before this, God has actually just done it. Without warning, he's just kind of killed off some people. But this time, it's almost as though he's inviting Moses to intercede on behalf of the people. One of the translations says, let me destroy them as though he's asking permission. Let me make your name great. And Moses could have at that time said, this is my moment. This is my time to shine. This is about me. And he says, no, God, this is about you. This is about your name. The people from Egypt, the people in the other nations, they've heard about you and they are going to hear about the signs and the wonders that you've performed. But they're also going to say that you were unable to bring your people into their promised land. You were unable to fulfill the promise you made. So you slaughtered your people. And he says to, he says to God, show your power. At Mount Sinai, you showed me your character. And your character, in your character, when you showed it to me, you said, I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in grace. I forgive offenses and crimes. And this is from a Jewish Bible, and I love this translation. But I do not exonerate the guilty. I don't overlook the need for justice. I cause the negative effects of parents' offenses to be experienced by their children, even to the third and the fourth generation. What I do as a parent affects my child, affects my grandchildren, unless God intervenes and breaks it off. And we see that God does do that. But we have a responsibility as parents. I believe God has called us as parents to change legacies, and many of us are sitting here changing legacies, changing trajectories that have been going in a certain way, and we have chosen to go God's way. And Moses says, please forgive the offense of this people according to the greatness of your grace, not according to how ungrate or how stubborn or how awful, or how amazing they are. But according to your grace, because you are a God of grace. Just as you've forgiven them from Egypt until now. And God says, I will forgive them because you have asked. So amazing that God listens to our prayers. And God answers our prayers. And sometimes all it takes for God to intervene in a situation is for us to ask him to intervene in that situation.
But then he says, those who saw my glory and who saw my miracles, and yet they tested me 10 times in the space of under two years, it says God, the people tested God 10 times. Those who haven't listened to me, those who've provoked me, will not see the land I've promised. As John said, we can be spiritually forgiven, but we often have to carry the consequences of our actions. In many ways, I believe that is God's grace, sometimes in our lives. Sometimes, and I don't know if any of you have had this experience of going through a breakup. Own up, guys. I'm sure so many more of you have. And you've thought, oh, my word, my world has fallen apart. I just saw us in ministry together. I saw us doing mighty things for God. God, what has gone on? And that's God's grace. Because he knew if we went into that situation, we would have been destroyed. We've got someone who's wrestling that we know who's wrestling. They're in a company at the moment. And they believed that God had provided them this position in this company. But they're being drawn into unethical behavior. And it goes against everything they stand for. And there's a threat that if he doesn't do what they're asking him to do, he's going to lose his job. That's, in the end, that's going to be God's grace. Because the pressure on him to change his values and adjust to that situation. Sometimes God doesn't allow us to go into a situation because we're not ready yet. The nation of Israel was not yet ready, and if they'd gone in, they would have been destroyed. The best option for them at that time was to go back into the wilderness and to spend the rest of their time with their family. Not the best conditions, but it was better than going into the land and being destroyed because they weren't ready. But then God says to Moses, but Caleb has a different spirit. He follows me wholeheartedly. Two people in the Bible are mentioned that they follow God wholeheartedly, Caleb and Joshua. I will make sure that Caleb is able to enter into this land and to live in it. God doesn't just want to bring us into a place, but he wants us to enjoy and to thrive in the place that he brings us into. And he says to them, since the Malachites and the Canaanites occupy the the valley, I want you to turn around tomorrow, and I want you to go back into the desert. And then he says to Moses, tell them, tell this nation, that I'm going to do what they have spoken about in my hearing. Those who have said, no, we are going to die at the hands of the Malachites. We are going to die. God brought us here to die. They are going to die, and they will not enter the land. But those who said, go, will go into the land. The only exception is that those who are under 20 years will not suffer what has been spoken over them. They will enter the land and they will enjoy the land, but it's going to be delayed. It's going to happen, but there's going to be a delay. 
They are going to be in the desert for 40 years, and they are going to carry the consequences of your unfaithfulness. And in some versions, it's, it's quite strong, your whoredom, your unfaithful ad adultery. Our actions do have consequences, not just for ourselves, but for others. But at the same time, the actions of others do not need to prevent us from stepping into what God has for us. We are still able to step into what God has for us. And then as a little aside, the Bible just says that those who Moses had hand-selected to enter, to go and scout out the land, and who came back to circulate false reports and caused the nation of Israel to complain and to grumble against Moses, all of them died in a plague. And some commentators say within two weeks, they all died. God takes us quite seriously when we discourage others from entering into what God has for them. So Moses comes back and he reports to the, whole, to the Israelites and he says this to them. And they are absolutely shattered and they're absolutely devastated. They go to sleep and then they decide next morning early, they get up, they go up the mountain, they said, let's go. Let's go to the land that God has promised. Because we know we have sinned. And Moses says, you can just hear the exasperation in his voice, no. Why do you keep doing what you're not supposed to? When God has said go, you've said no. And when God has said no, you say we're going to go. God is not going to be with you. You will not succeed. Don't go. You will not succeed. God is not with you, not because he doesn't want to be, but you've turned your back on him. And you're going to be struck down with a sword. But true to their nature, they were presumptuous, and they decided to go. They went up the mountain without the blessing of their leader, without the presence of God. And as it turns out, they were chased by the Amalekites. They were, the Amalekites descended. They defeated them. They chased them. And it says to a place called Horeb, which is actually a place of destruction. There's quite a difference between faith and presumption. Faith is knowing that I know, that I know, that I know that God is in this and God is calling me to this. Presumption is just going ahead regardless of what God is saying. As Rich said two weeks ago, obedience does not harm, will not come to harm. But by contrast, disobedience can do severe damage. When I disobey the Lord, I can do damage to myself. I can hurt myself. But it's not just myself that I hurt. I hurt others as well. It's important that we stay alert and sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He's so willing to lead us. He's so willing to guide us. Sometimes all it takes is to just stop and say, Holy Spirit, what do I do now? God, what do I do now? 
The way we avoid presumption is to watch for God's proper timing and his procedure, to watch for his when and to watch for his how. God doesn't always just say, this is what you're going to do, and he leaves you to it, but he shows you how and he gives you the right time. And if this were the end of the story, it would once again be very tragic, but we're going to come back to it tonight, so don't worry, you don't have to wait till next week this time. But I just want us to stop and I want to process a little bit. 1 Corinthians 10 verse says that the stories of the people in the Old Testament were given to us as examples so that we won't make the same mistakes that they made and so that we won't hunger after evil. We won't hunger after that which is not of God. But at the same time, we can also look at Caleb's wholeheartedness captured in one sentence to follow as an example. The first part of his wholeheartedness was let's proceed immediately. He was ready to go. But even more than being ready to go, he was ready to obey God. So even if God said no, when, when God said go, he was ready to go. And when God said no, he was willing to obey. Wisdom is knowing the importance of the season that we're in. No two seasons are the same, and there are seasons in our spiritual walk individually and as a community. Incompetence is sleeping through the day of opportunity. Powerful scripture that. We need to read the season, and we need to see what God is saying. When the cloud moved, the people moved. When the clouds stopped, the people stopped. But when the clouds stayed, the people camped. What season are we in at the moment? I believe that we've been through a season of no. We've been through a season of slow. But God is bringing us and has started a season of go. The question is, are we continually preparing ourselves for this season? Are we getting fit spiritually? Are we bringing the future into the present? Are we influencing by inviting people into God's story? Are we searching for the full truth, not just settling for partial truths? Secondly, Caleb said, let's possess the land. Let's take ownership of it. We're not just going to enter it, but we're going to take ownership. We're not just going to rent it. We're going to take ownership of it. The only person who can disqualify me from entering into my future and my destiny is myself. The only person that can disqualify you from entering into your destiny in God is yourselves. How we do this is we avoid difficult situations. I know that that's going to be hard. I know that I might have to study. I know that I might have to do that. And I try and find a shortcut. And I try to avoid it. And I try to find an easy way out. What actually happened when Abraham and Lot had grown quite substantially as an Israelite nation. And they came into Canaan. They'd been in Egypt and they came for a short while. And they came into Canaan. And Abraham said to Lot, his nephew, we are far too big to all be in one land. So you choose which part of Canaan you want, 
and I'll take the other part. And Lot chooses the part that is lush and fertile. He chooses the plains, the easy territory. But Abraham chooses the hilly terrain. He chooses the, well, he doesn't choose it. He gets left with it, the challenging territory. The sad thing is that the life of ease that Lot thought he had chosen ended up being hectic and horrible. If you read some of the stories of what happened to Lot and what happened to his family. It is often through discipline and difficult circumstances and inconvenient times that our spiritual muscles grow and that we are able to make progress. If we're wanting to get fit, if we're wanting to get strengthen certain, certain muscle groups, it isn't an, a comfortable journey always. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult sometimes. But that's the only way progress is made. And I love this from Habakkuk 3 verse 19. It says, he makes my feet like hinds feet. Now hinds are little deers, little buck that are able to walk very easily on mountains. And he will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress on my times of troubling, trouble, suffering, and responsibility. Where do we make spiritual progress? Where do I make spiritual progress? Trouble, suffering, and responsibility. If I stay the course in those times, I strengthen my spiritual muscles. To enter the plan God has to us, we need to be willing to fight some battles, and we need to dispossess some giants in our own lives. Those giants can look like many things. We often think they look like people. Anyone think of giants that look like people? Keep your hands down. But Ephesians 6 verse 20 says, We fight our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual forces of darkness, and evil in the heavenly realms. That is where our fight is. That can look like disillusionment. It can look like delay. It can look like discouragement. It can look like disheartenment, despair, disease, and many things, starting with D. Those are sometimes the battles we fight in our minds. Sometimes those are the hardest battles. Trying to avoid hardships, trying to avoid battles will only take us back into the desert. We need to have courage to dispossess those giants so that we can possess our inheritance. And finally, Caleb says, we are well able to prevail. To possess what God has for us takes persistence, it takes perseverance until we are able to prevail. And I love that word prevail. It's different from overcome and it's different from conquer. Overcome is almost like it's instant. Conquer is almost like it's instant. But prevail means there's been a battle that's had on the way to victory. It says Caleb at the age of 85 comes to Joshua, who's now leading the nation of Israel. And he says to him, remember when I stood at the precipice of the promise and Moses said to me, every place on which your foot will tread will be given to you as an inheritance because you have followed the Lord wholly. 
This was the vision that had Caleb for 45 years. Over 45 years, four and a half decades, he didn't lose hope. He didn't get discouraged. But he held, that vision held him. And he was ready. He was as ready at the age of 85 as he was at the age of 40 to inherit what God had for him, to possess, to step into the land God had for him. Knowing that there were giants, knowing that the cities were fortified, he comes to Joshua and he says to Joshua, give me Hebron. He asks for Hebron because he says that he knew that the Lord would be with him and he knew that he would be able to drive out the giants. And Joshua gives Caleb Hebron the land that had been promised to Israel five to 600 years before that. Josh, I mean, Caleb gets to step into that promise after not giving up hope, after not losing hope. And it says then, and the land had rest from war. When we enter into our promise and when we enter into the destiny that God has for us, we bring the kingdom of God to earth, and his kingdom is one of peace. We spread his peace. His peace spreads when we step into what God has for us. And not only do we benefit, as I step into what God has for me, I benefit. When you step into what God has for you, you benefit. But not only do you benefit, those around you benefit, and there's a ripple effect that happens. God called Abraham, and he said, I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing to the nations. The blessing that we receive is not just for ourselves. We are blessed to be a blessing. I think the takeaway from here is that God is going to do what he has planned to do. God is a heart, and if I can speak so boldly, God is a heart for Cornubia. God is a heart for bringing people of different cultures together. And he's going to do it. We are invited into that story. We are invited to step into that story. And we can say no, and we can look at all the difficulties we can say, let's go, for we are well able. So in closing, my invitation is twofold. Let's not make it our aim, our primary aim, to fit in. But let's make it our aim to get spiritually fit. Let's not make it our aim to go with the flow. But let's make it our aim to flow with God's go. And let's take our courage from Caleb. Let his words breathe courage into us as we proceed in response to his promptings, as we possess the portion that God has allotted to us, knowing that him, in him we are well able to prevail. Let us proceed immediately and possess the land, for we are well able to prevail. Amen.